Count us off, bro. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radio Brendo Man. I'm Brendan Creasy. And I'm Carson Crashley. And um, this is My Brother and Me. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. What's this chapter all about? It's about Mark. Mark. Great. What are we calling it? A salute to the goose? Salute to the goose. Shout out to the goose group. One of the most melancholy Facebook groups I ever started after the loss of a friend. This is... We had a few friends pass. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast. Well, we were going to go... My, um... Just about talking about dead friends. I was going to call it Dead Friends. With benefits. Right? But that has a sexual connotation that, you know, may not be appropriate. Like, what if someone wanted to come on the show about dead folks um, and talk about their dad, like we always want to do? Um, and if it's like, hey, next up on Dead Friends with Benefits, Brendo Man himself talking about his dead bad and all the benefits. There are benefits, but this is a special app because, uh, I mean, everyone has a Mark Rake, I think. And some's shine. I mean, there's, I mean, everyone has like their friend that is like the craziest, wildest heart that burns so bright, and yet... Shine on, you crazy diamond. And then they burn out, flame out a little early. Flame out a little early. And Mark was that friend for both of us. Yeah. I mean, definitely you you spent more time with him. I mean, he was my age. Yeah. You guys were in school together. But, like, Mark Gregg was a cool dude. Like, even, like, when he was, like... Even the older kids. We all thought he was... The, he was... As soon as he... Because we met him at church. And as soon as he joined the junior high group, everyone wanted to hang out with him. They thought he was the coolest person. How... He was literally the coolest kid in the sixth grade youth group. Middle school youth group. High school youth group. I got a little more competitive, but he was still up there. No, he was still... He was in all the skits. But being at the top of the middle school youth group, I mean, come on. No, it's awesome. I mean, yeah, I would see him. It was awesome. The I remember the morning I met him. It was actually, because we started going back to church, because we were on again, off again, church folk. Yeah, it was um, the Smiths invited us to Solana Beach Press. Solana Beach Press. If you want your kids to level up and have friends with benefits that include really posh houses a lot of rich people if you're like man my kid needs more pool parties go to a rich find the richest suburb in your area go to that presbyterian church church or whatever you know whatever whatever kind of community it is go have them go to youth group and then just wait for the bible study invites wait for the sleepovers and it'll be like whoa this so this is this is that we're not talking one percent this is like with the 12%. It was pretty ridiculous. 
There are a lot of rich people at that church. What was the craziest house you went to for a Bible study? Um, Probably, um, for a Bible study, probably Kyle Foster's house in Fairbanks Ranch. Describe it. It was just massive. There was like water features. Like Cribs was a disappointment to us because it was like last Tuesday I was at the Hohen's house for a pool party. Get these RSF Uh, parties. And uh, they had water slides. I mean, we're not talking water features. We're talking a pool, which in itself is a water feature, a dope one. But we're talking water slides. Plural. With, like, the water that shoots out of them. Not like the, like, oh, there's, like, a, a playground slide aimed at the pool with maybe, like, a hose get up. No. No, no, no. No, no, no. We're talking, you know, themed. It was, like, I've stayed at Disney properties that have worse pools. I just remember driving around with Brandon Smith. Had Brandon Smith drop me off at some house in Rancho Santa Fe. Just out way out there. I forgot whose house that was. I think it might have been the Hoens. It's wild. Palm trees line up the driveway. Crazy. But we're not here to talk about houses with pools. We're up here to talk about Mark's house that had a trampoline. A trampoline that almost died on once. Tell us about it. We were playing the game where everybody jumps at the same time and just lets go. It was a game where you try and crack crack the well, egg. Crack the egg. It was so just where was one not... person is in like cannonball position on their back. And then everyone tries to crack them open. But this, this is This is where game. we all landed on our butts at the same time to see yeah. what would happen. And what happened? I flew off the trampoline and landed on my head. <laughs> Did you catch it on film? No. Would would having like a hundred thousand views be worth having the rest of your teen youth uh you know on YouTube? I mean, I don't rammed? know. That probably would have been pretty great. I think um uh, Mom just said you were going to bring Lillian by today and never s- s- did. Well, now it's on wax. <laughs> now it's on wax. Well, the um, move got a little crazy. Sorry, Mom. But, yeah, uh, the Mark was famous for his videos. My favorite Mark video was one where he was doing a rail slide and he completely smashed his balls. And it starts off really, like, small. He's like, oh, fuck. And then he's just like, oh, fuck, oh. You don't wake up my daughter with your with your ball smashing. But it yeah. was just him screaming in absolute pain. That was, a, that was an amateur move. He, he, that was, to me, it was like, did he really, like, injure his scrot? Or uh, was he playing it up for the camera? Cause Mark, a little bit of both. Mark Gregg was a ham. He was like, I, like, I went on to become a theater dude. But, like, I kind of chilled off of it in middle school, high school, because I knew this guy, Mark Gregg, that was, like, the real deal. Like, oh, well, put this guy in front of a camera. He'd put himself in front of a camera, walking naked out of a Burger King bathroom. <laughs> uh, getting his nuts. Like, it was, he, was, you know, he was a skater. You know, he had a lot of style. You know, he would have a friends, you know, that would video film. And he was more of the star, like, off the board. Whereas, you know, his other friends like Roman and Rippy, those guys actually had some moves. I mean, because when you grow up in San Diego, there's jocks, nerds, surfers, skaters. And yeah, there's a Venn diagram, but they're all their distinct communities. And Mark was one of those 
free radicals where it was like he was with the theater kids he was with the skaters he he was all over the place he was with the art he was with the youth group nerds (laughs) but yeah some good times um ski trips oh man i will never forget the ski trip where we took over the small town of beaver utah yeah beaver mark and you better believe it and brent and i somehow got our own room a lot of us had our own rooms and but our room kind of became the unofficial hangout room and mark i think that was the first time mark did the like did the what? The butt pounding. Whoa, 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 whoa. For, for first-time listeners, what, what is the Mark Greg butt pounding? <laughs> Mark would just, like, dry hump you. But, well, that wasn't unique to Mark. A lot of horny kids dry humped. But you thought Mark had a special special eye for your, your Brendo butt, as you would put it? He put it. He put it. He would be like, time for Brendo butt. It sounds like he was abusing you. But you were smiling. You just liked their physical attention, didn't you? Didn't you, you slut? Well, okay. Mark was a very attractive human being. He was very... He was, a, he was androgynous. Yeah. Especially, I mean, it was like... When I would, he cut his hair. I would show you, you... We would, like, go to, like, Forest Home, uh, seventh grade, you know, church Bible camp, you know, I'd have like my Kodak roll of film and I get developed and then I would show my friends pictures and like, who's that who's that attractive girl in your photos they're always <laughs> hanging out with? I'm like, oh that's my buddy Mark. But like yeah, he, he was he was a force to be reckoned with. I remember being at like a holiday inn pool when we were on like a Magic Mountain trip and seeing like Mark like rise out of the water because he had curly hair and like a tight, you know you know, he he had a tight you know, almost like Jufro, like a perm. Yeah, it was a pretty. But giant, it was natural. Yeah. He could grow it out. And I remember like seeing him like emerge from the water with like his poofy hair was now like this like long wavy wet locks. And I was like, oh, now I get why the Backstreet Boys are always wet in their videos. <laughs> like I'm getting wet, um, but I'm allowed to because um, yeah, he's a beautiful person. Um, and it was great because it was more like I don't know. He he was definitely I've. He was a friend that had a he he had his own gravity. He had a lot of orbits too. And you know, with friends like that that burn so hard you realize like, oh there's like there's like constellations there's there's little galaxies that are in Mark's fucking gravity that I'd never even heard of. Because, um, you know, he would spend like a summer between his sophomore and junior of high school taking a theater course in Berkeley, living in the international house as a sixteen year old. Just like running around, getting passed out drunk between top dog and a head shop, just chasing college girls as a sixteen-year-old. <laughs> that's Mark. It was awesome. I, that's so crazy that he got to do that. We shared an affinity and a connection to the Bay Area from San Diego, whereas like we were, I was always getting into well, trouble. He took you up there because I get a phone call from Mark, and it'd be like Carson, I'm going up to San Francisco, and we lived in San Diego. It's like, right. a, it's it's like a, ten, like a eight, hour, eight hour, ten hour drive if you're having fun. And I'd be like, well, I'm 16, I'm not really allowed to, but maybe I will um, quit my job at Marshall's, because it's hell. I've only been working here for a week and a half, and uh, go hang out in San Francisco for two days. And I'd pull an all-nighter and be back Monday. We'd do crazy stuff like that. 
We spent the millennium there. We talked about that during the millennium episode. Um, yeah. He went on to drama school? I didn't even know this was a thing. He was so... I didn't know like there was like whole pathways where you audition for your bachelor's in fine arts for theater. And you could do musical theater. You could do straight theater. He was a straight theater dude. And he did a... He would have been great in Hamilton. Um, not necessarily straight. But... Um, he was auditioning for graduate schools. And we were in a play, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Did dead. he finish college? He did, eventually, at University of San Francisco. But he auditioned for grad. You know, where he auditioned for, like, Juilliard, for NYU, for Carnegie Mellon, or whatever, for UCLA Conservatory. And these are big deals. Like, they only do, like, these, these auditions, they go on tours. Like, there's a Chicago, New York, L.A., Bay Area, maybe a couple other for some certain schools. And he had these auditions, and we were in a play. The first play I did, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, and we were cast in a dual role. Both of us played one character, split, chopped them into two. So we did, so we did like, a, you know, like we were finishing each other's sentences. Kind of a... Like a brother's thing. Like a brother's thing. And we won an award for it. I just found it when I was moving. A little medallion. Uh lost the medallion still have the ribbon that it was hanging from that's all i have <laughs> i know where the medallion went it was like lodged in the back of my tercel my 89 tercel that i lost in san francisco when it pooped out and i donated it to the san francisco zoo i tried to get all my stuff out of the trunk i was like oh my medal that reminds me of mark and i pulled it out empty-handed only had the ribbon so i keep that ribbon in my top drawer of my my undie drawer. That's where it lives. Fitting end to my, an award I shared with Mark Gregg. An underwear drawer. My piece of Mark memorabilia is also, it's falling apart. It's uh, my copy of Stephen King's It. We got it. I got it when I went, Mark and we were on a trip to Julian. Oh, that copy. And uh, Mark and I went off on our own for some reason. And went to a used bookstore, and Mark was like, "Have you read it?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, you should." He's like, "Well, do you have a copy?" I was like, "No." He's like, "Well, you should buy one." You should. He convinced you to buy a copy of a book you already read. Yeah. And money's not flush when you're a fourteen, fifteen year old. Yeah. And he convinced you to to buy a, a book. That you'd probably read multiple times. Yeah. I love it. Mark Gregg, I mean, when he got his license, he drove a, his, like his dad's old Dodge Aries. And it was just kind of a thing where if you were a friend and like that was kind of like, well, I guess I use it as a litmus test. I was like, oh, how much, how good of a friend are you with Mark Gregg? Have you ever driven with Mark and he runs out of gas? Because <laughs> he keeps he prepares he prepares to run out of gas because like it happened we were on our way to see our friend Lauren Lanning who worked at uh, not Johnny Rockets but what's the other one Ruby Tuesdays uh, and we ran out of gas and he was like don't worry this happens all the time I got a gas can I got a gas and I was like well if it happened like, I just need to keep gas well, just, how many how many times have you run out of gas. Like once. Once. This is because it was a regular habit, and he'd been driving for like eight months. <laughs> and that is that is kind of who he was. That was how he lived his life. 
you know, running out of gas. Um, but yeah. His house was a definitely a place of refuge. Yeah, because his parents were pretty chill. His parents were chill or and or gone a lot. And he had a basketball court. Yeah. And I remember listening to music in his room a lot. Mark Gregg had a like a, a paved, like custom built half court basketball hoop and a trampoline in his backyard and lived adjacent, you know, to one of the fanciest country clubs in San Diego County. And that was like within our friend group, like middle class, lower middle class. Yeah. I do remember going on the golf course, going uh, ice blocking on the golf course sometimes. But yeah, man. In college, he was still a wild man. He he shares. Um, well, going back to the audition for graduate school, I was like, "What are you doing for college, Carson?" Oh, well, maybe I'll uh, go to community college, uh, study English, transfer, uh, or maybe I'll just go to San Francisco State. I was like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Oh, I'm going to study acting." I'm like, "Cool." And I was like, and "He's like he had to do his auditions." And he told me about those. Um, it didn't really click that. Oh, his auditions conflicted with one of the nights of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead that he and I play the same role in. So for like one night, at least one night, I had to take on the full role. And it was great because he was really slowing me down. He was really kind of, it was frustrating. (laughs) How so? It wasn't frustrating. It was beautiful. But like I knew Mark and Mark is a guy who his charisma gets him through. Right. Um, and he's awesome. That wasn't just it. He he had, you know, authenticity as well. But I knew that, like, if I'm sharing my, like, I would have preferred to have been, like, this is your line, this is my line. But I knew I had to learn all the lines because Mark's going to do what he wants, whatever he wants to do. And we can kind of map it out. And we had to, like, we spent hours just, you know, learning the cues where we're why I would say a line and he wouldn't, where we can come in at the same time. But I also knew he fancied himself, you know, a a jazzier kind of artist, like improvisation where appropriate. So in order to cover both our asses, you know, I knew I needed to learn that part backwards and forwards. Oddly enough, I ended up being the one that like jumped us ahead uh, in a scene once. But sorry, Thomas Fonz, I, I stepped on your line, cut out your big moment. It's like... The first time you do that as an actor, you feel so bad. Because it's like, I made a mistake. Now you don't get to do some of your lines. <laughs> Sorry. And they were really funny. Thomas Fonz, he's in the Groundlings. It's a funny dude. He was, shout out to Thomas Fonz, who Mark Gregg loved as well. He was a few years younger than us, but Mark um, was directing the Marat Saad as a high schooler, as a student director. That's a crazy sentence. A high school theater department doing the assassination and persecution of Jean-Paul Morat performed under the inmates of uh, the Asylum of Sharonton. That's a it's a play about the Marquis de Sade and revolution and the you know re-energizing the you know the seventies place was up Vietnam too. And Marity Payne still chugging along TDP at uh, uh, theater department at Torrey Pines. Uh, She's still going, man. She's going. And she was like the kind of teacher who was like, when you guys graduate, you're my favorite. She loves Mark. He's like the patron saint of Marini's heart. Because she was, uh, he was, uh, you know, 
he was Marini's Hamlet. And when you're a high school theater teacher, you know, like, I'm gonna, I might get to do it a, a few times, but like, he was, he was a, he was a golden, he was, he was a golden child. Yeah, I think about his acting career and where it could have gone and what he could be doing. Anything. He could be a goofball. He could be sexy. He was in a movie that got a limited release. It was. Yeah, it was filmed in San Diego. He was on the tour. Like I could do like um, I could. I think because there are enough like Hollywood folks in that movie that I could do like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon to somebody through that movie. Yeah. Wait, well, you can get us to Kevin Bacon. All right, let's start. So I was in Rosencrantz and Gilson are dead with Mark Rag, who was in, I think it was like Danny. The Pacific and the Eddie. The Pacific and Eddie with uh, that dude that played the bunny in Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah. So how do we get him to Kevin Bacon? I'm sure Jake Gyllenhaal was in a movie with Kevin Bacon. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal... I think if you get to Kevin Bacon, everyone forgets Mystic River. How do you get to him? All right. So there's also, oh, 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 that dude was in Independence Day. Bill Pullman. And Bill Pullman was in, what do I know? Independence Day with Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. How do you get Jeff Goldblum and Kevin Bacon? Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern. What was Laura Dern in with Kevin Bacon? Jurassic Park. We're now we're back to Goldblum. Six degrees now. No, we're not. We gotta go backwards. Come on, we can do this. We can do this. Off the top of my head, I'm bad at this shit. Well, then you should hang up. Just give up. Just give up your mantle as a pop culture. You can't even get one of your best friends and your brother connected to Kevin Bacon. I'm not moving forward with this content until we do it. What are some of the Kevin Bacon movies? Let's work backwards. Kevin Bacon... She's having a baby. Who else is in that? Give me actors. Uh, Tremors. Nobody else is in that. Nobody else is in that, you jackass. Michael Gross. This is Michael J. Fox. (laughs) You're too far. All right. You failed. We failed. (laughs) But it can be done. I'm sure you can do it in like two degrees. Yeah. I met that dude um, who played Frank the Bunny. What's that guy's name? His name's Frank. I met him at a... He was at a Kevin Smith thing. Just hanging out. Oh, because he was friends with Ethan Supley. It was a Mallrats reunion. Nice. What was the... um, Oh... Well, remember Mark's... I remember Mark's um, service, one of his services that we went to, his memorial. Well, we should talk about what happened to Mark. Yeah, I guess it's kind of relevant to current events. Because? Mark was shot to death by the LAPD. Uh, he, he was armed with a knife, allegedly... There's, no, he stabbed his roommate. Well, he, did he stab his roommate or threatened to stab his roommate? I guess the knowledge. But, I mean, it's a... it's a Yeah. I mean, obviously, the cops are the cops. and But then you see these videos of cops in other countries taking down dudes with knives without killing them. And they shot him a bunch of times. 
and it just kind of seems excessive to me. And it's they and they like hearing Mark's dad talk about it. Sounds like they never got the full story on what happened. No, Mark's dad was awesome too. Remember when Mark got his ear pierced in middle school? His dad got his ear pierced too, and his dad was like sixty at the time. <laughs> yeah, he had an old dad. He had an old ass dad. He had full grown yeah. Marcus. Yeah. Bustin. Yeah, his dad gave every one of his friends nicknames. Although I think he liked my name and just called me Carson. But yeah, I remember oddly enough, you know, Mark was kind of my. Um, you know, he was the one that grabbed my hand and pulled me into acting and theater. And, you know, talk about life has a way of bookending itself. I had uh, gone to college uh, and didn't get into theater into college until, like, my junior year after I transferred. And that was amazing because by then, Mark had moved to the Bay Area. He was finishing up at University of San Francisco, so we hung out in college and we would whoosh, do all-nighters in Marin because he had, like, these housemates that were... Um, from the Czech Republic and so he kind of still had international friends and would go to these wild parties with these Czech people and these comedians and he'd be like oh this is my friend Carson he's hilarious you should talk to this guy he's a stand up comedian uh, in Canada and he would you know he just had these like creative amazing rad friends and uh, some you know but he also had friends that were just like Mark was the kind of guy that he knew the panhandlers' names and their story. He knew them by name. Like, I knew people that I would see at Berkeley for pretty much half a decade that I had met in high school because Mark knew the hate man or knew New York or knew this guy Chicago that would hang out, you know, in these Berkeley haunts for a long time. And that's why I think when you can... Mark, Mark was only... He was the kind of guy that would bum a cigarette at a red light. He would get the car next to him if they were smoking to roll down their window and be like, hey, man, you got a cigarette? And they'd throw him a cigarette and be like, awesome. He, like, made magic happen. He would buy booze when he was 15, just be just going into a store and buying it with confidence. He was that guy. Yeah, I remember going with... I remember walking in a store with Mark, and he didn't even... I'm like, don't you... Do you have ID? He's like, no. And, and he just bought alcohol. <laughs> Just walked right up to the lady and bought alcohol. Yeah. Um, I think we talked about no, we that was in our that was our private conversation, but we had an epic. I came to visit you guys in college, oh. summer of '02, and we had like a crazy all nighter. Got a jug of <laughs> jug wine. <laughs> And we were walking around downtown San Francisco in the middle of the night. Yeah, drinking a Carlo Rossi gallon. And you ended up, you were having, you were, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that dark place. Because, you know, we, we talk about your I depression. had a rough summer interning. In and the also, Midwest. Well, no, I was interning in Sacramento. Oh, yeah. You were in the Bay Area. And um, it had been kind of a rough time. Um, I wasn't working for Mike. I wanted to work for Mike. I ended up working for another guy. And he it was not a very good working relationship. And I finished and, and and then uh I was going to Bible college and having weird that was it was it was actively eroding my faith and it was causing me to like 
lash out, I guess. Lash out in which ways? Like, what does lashing out with your colleagues mean to you? I would just... Like, what does it look like? Cry a lot, flip out a lot. <laughs> what would lead to the tears? I don't know, just I was really depressed. And I, I think I was holding in my... I think I was ignoring my depression because I was in the state of, like, if I pray enough, if I am a good enough Christian, I won't be having these problems. Ooh. You could pray it away. Yeah. And you just weren't that good at prayer. <laughs> I guess You know who not. was good at praying? Mark, because he could also freestyle. And to me, good praying is a lot like freestyling. That is true. Um... I just also, like, I mean, well, anyway, I found out the bookend I was leading to was, you know, I was finished college, was acting professionally in the Bay Area, you know, local community, regional theater stuff, and one of the coolest theater companies when I first, like, kind of, well, Carson's really kind of has a little bit of local heat in the theater Bay Area. Um, it was, uh, I was in, I was the King of France um, in The Three Musketeers. And it was an outdoor show in, in this park in Berkeley. Um, and it was crazy. Um, and I was like, you know, we had this fight call because I also did some rapier work, you know, fight choreo, musketeers. And uh, I get a call, and it's my friend Jesse, who I had gotten a call from in like a year. I got like two calls. I'm like, what? I'm about to go on stage. It's a fight call in 20 minutes. And it's like... Mark's dead. I'm like, what? It was crazy. And I, I just kind of had to go on and do a whole show with one of my best, knowing one of my best friends was dead and knowing really not much else. And then the show ended and two of my friends from like my first years in college in San Francisco State came to see me in that play and they were like, oh my goodness, we used to like play theater games in the dorms just for fun and you, you wouldn't even know you were interested in acting and, and you're you're kind of cool, good at it. And I was like, you know, under normal circumstances, I'm like, let's hang out and go have a drink. Um, and maybe let's, you know, have some unrequited, you know, make-out sessions because these two cute girls saw me <laughs> do theater and then liked it. But I was just like, I just found out my friend died. And they're like, oh, we're so sorry. And then, like, that was the last I ever saw those girls. Shout out to Mel and Cal from SF State. <laughs> Um, they were high school friends. They grew up in Baca. No, Visalia. Did I meet them? Maybe. I don't know. They were both tall. Maybe. I met some... You met, You knew a lot of girls. Yeah, hell yeah, man. College. I learned from... I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, so I found out, you know, mid... Literally, you know, not mid-performance, but right before performance that... You know, one of my muses had passed on. That was a really rough time for me because I remember I found you, you called me and then I went, I was like, oh, Carson needs me. So I think like the next weekend or like a couple weeks later, went up to San Francisco and we went to see Arcade Fire. That was awesome. That was pretty awesome. But then that same weekend, I found out my friend... Oh, yeah. Greg committed suicide. I went to... And their funerals were the same week. Their services. 
Jesus, I remember feeling it's like that was like the worst week of my life. I was like, I lost my friend, and then here's here's Brendo, like, because that was, I mean, that was a special friend. Yeah. And there was some complicated, and that was that was, I don't know how much you want to talk about that. Well, that was where I was. I was in denial about being gay, and I had a lot of feelings for Greg. And we would talk about things, but never act on anything because we both were having issues about that. And uh, and then when Greg died, I was like, "Well, there's an answer. <laughs> like this is no." And this is it's bad. What's this that you're talking about? Like, like, like my being gay. Is dead. When Mark, because Mark was my other like, you had a crush on Mark. I had a crush on Mark. I had a crush on Mark. I kissed Mark. Who didn't? You know, um, it was just one of those things. Like, should have. (laughs) Well, this is very personal. I mean, I got. I remember in my early days of email, I got an email from Mark, and it was a kind of a long one, kind of out of the blue. And I, I kind of like thought he had sent it, he had missent it to me, or maybe he was like drunk, but it was kind of like, hey Carson, just really wanted you to know that I've been thinking about you a lot, and I do think about you a lot, and I think it's because I love you. And I was like, I replied, and I was like, hey, I love you too, bro. And now sometimes I'm like, oh, oh fuck, <laughs> because you know he would also, you know, he was a very, he was. I don't want to, you know, I I would say he identified as a heterosexual. But yeah. I would say in like that, like Jack Kerouac kind of a way. Where it's like, yeah, I'm a heterosexual, but I'd be an idiot not to, you know, not to try, try out, you know, have a little fun here and then. And then when the fancy speaks. Um, it'd be interesting to know Mark now. I think he'd, he'd get a thrill out of being like, yeah, pansexual, whatever. I wish I had hung out with him in L.A. I never did. I remember one time he sent me a message on MySpace or somewhere, and I was like, let's hang out. And I was like, I can't. I'm busy. Oh, talk about... I remember... You ever had a... You ever have someone rip your heart out at a funeral? Yeah. One of the one of my all-time, like, gut-wrenching moments is one of... You know, I don't want to put them on the spot or in blast, but, you know, I remember one of, one of Mark's family members was like... Oh, you were such a good friend, Carson. And they were trying, they were trying to say something great, but they were just like, I just wish, you know, maybe he had never moved to L.A. and stay in the Bay Area with you. And I was like, ouch. Maybe he should have, but like, you know, I'm in my 20s. I didn't see Mark. Yeah, I, I kick myself that like, you know, I would go months without seeing Mark. Um, I remember calling him, and I was excited to tell him about the play that I was doing. And that, that was the last I reached out to him, and he was in a dark spot in in L.A. You know, he was doing crazy, you know, gigs, you know, like selling floor cleaning and weird stuff. Mm-hmm. He would tell me, like, he told me one time he, I thought about this a lot, he was delivering, like, a pizza. He was delivering something, or he was delivering, like, for Green Dot or whatever. He, he made a delivery to Norm MacDonald's house. It's like, <laughs> and it took, it was like, because Mark, he didn't care about celebrity, 
So, but he recognized Norm Macdonald. I had to like guess it out of him. I was like, I think that's Norm Macdonald. He's like, yes, it was. It was. It was Norm Macdonald. And he just had this very descriptive, almost poetic description of the sadness. It was kind of like, I met this celebrity and he just looked so sad. And a part of me, I was like, oh, I feel bad for Norm Macdonald. And now today I'm like, oh, he's just, he's a comedian. <laughs> of course he, of course he's getting food delivered and he's sad. That's how comedians are. <laughs> They're between gigs. All, all Norm McDonald's tweets are about sports. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about what a good friend Mark was to me. Like, I just, half the time, I'm like, why are you hanging out with me? I'm such a loser. <laughs> and... But he he genuinely liked hanging out with me, and he made me feel like a valuable person. That was the thing is, you know, his service, I mean, was so touching because he was somebody that, and I think he was he was doing something with like, um, I don't know, he was like with a film class or something. He was acting in people's, you know, short films, and there was like a student who was like a student filmmaker, and, and like she made a movie and Mark agreed to like be the actor in this movie. And for the time they made that movie, which was probably like a weekend, um, you know, it was probably for that filmmaker, a magical, exciting, creative, one of the most indelible experiences, you know, of her young adulthood. And for Mark, it's like, you know, that, that was Thursday, you know, between seven and 10 PM for a couple weeks. I mean, he just made immediate, you know, just like immediate connections. He just had no time for bullshit. And I think his, his spirit knew that. I remember one time we were at the beach and some random photographer was like, I want to take pictures of you. He spoke at his funeral. And he was like, yeah. It was Terry. Yeah, Mark also was a bit of a narcissist. He had some of those photos that were like him as a preteen, looking androgynous and sexy as like a skater boy. I think it was, it was, he would hang those pictures in his house when he had like apartments. Yeah. I was like, it took me a while to realize that, but that's Mark, you know. That was a part of it, is if you, if you didn't put yourself into his orbit, he would find someone to spin with. And so it was kind of nice because it was like, you know, it would be like, you know, oh, sixth and seventh grade summers, we were best friends. And then it's like, well, we'd see each other, you know, every now and then. But, you know, when we both live in the Bay Area, when we're both doing a play together, you know, you got to, you know, or when I was working, some of my favorite memories when I was working as a projectionist is Mark would come visit me at work and we'd just like hang out on top of the, the cinema looking down on the highlands and the fountain. Yeah, and uh, remember Mark was the glue that held us all together. We had our little group of friends, and we had our older friend Paige who had a car, and she would drive us around that year that Paige drove us around before any of us had cars, and we'd just go all over the place. Went to K-Pro with a Ouija board. Uh, Some wild times. Went to the beach a lot. 
drove around. We had our streaking incident, which has been well documented on this yeah, podcast. The streaking. Mark got. Mark was had no qualm. Mark was an exhibitionist, pretty much. Yeah, but he was a very present, emotionally intelligent young man. I remember he walked into um, when I was when I lost my dad. He seemed to me like. One of my only friends is like a seventh, eighth grader that I could talk about it philosophically, and that would make me feel good. It felt like this guy had some sign of some some sort of wisdom that maybe is from lives that weren't his own. That you know, I knew I needed at that time. And I hate to say, like as someone who like as a when when you're a young man and you have male friends and you don't have a dad. Your friends bear the burden of being, you know, almost like a father figure to you. Wanting to improve, impress your friends, you know, teaching you the way the world works. And yeah. in a lot of ways, you know, Mark carried some of that weight for our dad, which is crazy to say about someone that, you know, was 13, 14, 16 at the time. Yeah, he was great. Went to prom group with him. Oh, yeah, you and what was the kid's name? Well, Mark had, I mean, when I say he was empathetic and emotionally intelligent, he was he was the kind of guy in high school, instead of regular PE, he did, like, he was, like, a volunteer for, like, the special ed PE. And he made amazing friendships with some of those students of, you know, all kinds of, you know, developmental and, uh, you know, physical, you know, challenges you know and uh one of the folks brian wallace yeah he worked with me in burger king worked and so he was he was a joy he was great to be around he was he was and you know loved mark loved mark his mom came to mark's funeral just to say that you know she doesn't even know how she but yeah um and so for senior prom you know mark had a date uh, our friend, buddy, buddy Brant had a date, and I kind of slacked on getting a date because the girl I wanted to ask had gotten swooped up. Um, I didn't want to ask her because she had recently dated Mark, but I was like, "Dang, dude, being friends with Mark—if that was the rules you play by—that eliminates takes a lot of people off." But not really. He was more of like, "I'm in an intense relationship with someone for an intense amount of time." It was wild. Um, but yeah, no, long story short, I should have asked Lauren Lanning to prom in, <laughs> uh, instead David Riesenberg got the early ask and she was not thrilled, but she was nice and said yes to, to Riesenberg. Hmm. So my consolation prize, um, for not winning the Lauren Lanning sweepstakes was, uh, well, I think it's punk rock to take a dude to prom. What if I took Brian Wallace? And we get our prom group to go to Chuck E. Cheese. We have a blast. We have fun. And, you know, <laughs> Brian Wallace had, he was, he was a rock star at prom. And it was like, to the point to where like, my shitty self that had the heart enough to be like, I'm going to make this happen. He's going with me and my group. Um, but also, I'm like, man, dude, this guy's having more fun than I am. It was great. I'm sitting here literally throwing grapes at my ex-girlfriend being an asshole. <laughs> oh, my God. 
God. Yeah. I was an asshole who took a sweetheart to senior prom. So, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Takes a special needs kid to prom, kid, young man to prom. We both have the night of our life, but also will be a bitter fuckboy and throw food at his ex because he's an immature asshole. My senior prom date didn't recognize me when I saw her this year. You saw her this year? Yeah. When was that? Who was um, that? Jen Rutherford. Oh, okay. But I was wearing a mask. I think that's why. She was like, I'm Jen. I'm like, uh, Brendan. What She's were like, you oh. wearing a mask? Because it was... A weird. face mask. It was a face mask. Weird. Oh. It was a meetup. When was that? It was, when you were in SoCal. Yeah, it was the. It was right before the Fourth of July because oh. I was like, I'm gonna go hang out with these high school friends, and then I'm gonna go. Are you out. off your meds now? Yeah. Okay, so you weren't in zombie mode. That would been weird for her. <laughs> been really bad. It was burning. <laughs> I have these flakes in the corner of my mouth now because my medicine dries my skin. Oh, God, that was awful. Yeah, man. Shout out to New Meds. Um, I wanted to say we still got a couple little bit, couple hours left. It's uh, Keith's 40th birthday. Shout out to friends that are lifesavers. Happy birthday, Keith. And he had nice things to say about this show, so. Hey, thanks, man. He hasn't even seen this show yet. This podcast. Oh, I got that. Uh, this is the first time we're recording in a new house. That's right. We moved to a new house. This is the new location of the Brendo Man Studios. You got your own floor here. Yeah. You got the whole second floor of the house. It's pretty dope. Although I think this little, there's like a little alcove in here. They'll make a good like little, little play area. Yeah. Maybe a sewing room for mommy. Yeah. This is a nice, like, this whole upstairs is, like, all finished nice. And then we had to redo the floors on the first floor. Yeah, your place was set. We don't do shit with it. But no one wants to hear about a house. Well, I want to, how do you, how do you, how do you feel as a first-time homeowner? You feeling good? Um, I am racked with white guilt. <laughs> oh, the world's ending? Good time to buy a house. We need a yard for our child, because we're birthers. Isn't that what a birther is? Breeder. I'm a breeder. That's what we call you. Birthers. All breeders are birders, but not all birthers are breeders. Is that what that is? A birther is someone who thinks Obama was born in Africa, right? Yeah. I'm not one of those. But I did make a child at the end of the world. Well, there's people having babies, like, right now. I don't want to... Uh, I also must be said, Mark Gregg was a father. Yeah. That was a wild... Yeah. I mean, I couldn't... I knew... When Mark's death happened, there were some folks that saw it as, um, you know... Maybe he was... Maybe... I don't want to say it, suicide by cop, but I just did... But a part of me is like, well, maybe Mark did the calculus, you know, when I thought that. Now I just think the police murdered him. 
don't get me wrong, but when I was entertaining that, I could see like Mark in a dark spot and people were like, but Mark was the brightest star I knew, but I also knew Mark. I took child development class with Mark. I'd see, anyone who knows Mark had seen him with children knew that like being a parent was something that was in him. You know, maybe, I don't know, but for him to have a child and to not be, you know, as much of a part of its life, her life as he wanted to, because um, he knew he couldn't be any sort of a parent if he didn't shoot his, you know, if he didn't shoot, you know, when you're an artist, you kind of know, like, do I want to be miserable and present or do I want to pursue my art and with the left, not with what energy I have left after giving my art my full heart, and that's the only way Mark knew how to do it. Uh, you know, he just he just couldn't. You know, he couldn't be a parent in the way that you know that he was ready for at the age of we were twenty one, if that at the time. Yeah. Um. And so that was very hard for him. And it was not something he talked about a lot, but I knew would wait on him. And so when I, you know, when I asked myself, well, what would get Mark into a dark spot to where he would be in a stressful place with a weapon potentially in his hand, with cops called to it, maybe he did the math of like, well, there's no way I'm getting out of this without my life being severely fucked. Maybe he's, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't. Now it's kind of like, eh, fuck cops. It's bullshit. You know, he... Yeah, I would like to say he would have taken responsibility for whatever got him to that dark place if he deserved to be there. But we don't know. But I do know that fucking Mark's the person that makes you question how you live your life. Like, are you the kind of person that when you're gone, your spirit will live in those you touched. Because he touched hundreds of lives. And I love him. Yeah, me too. And um, I'm glad that he was in my life for a brief period of time. But, you know... Sometimes that's the best people. Yeah. It's hard for me. um, Because I would say, especially high school, outside of college classmates, you're really one of my best friends. And I would say, alone on that shelf, was my friend Judd Wickham, who also died. And then at a certain point, at a young age, you know, Judd was like 25-ish when that happened. And then at a certain point, it's like, my bad friend, because the ones I love the most are dying all around me. I don't know, I think you just were, you just happened to meet some people that are shooting stars, man, because they were kind of they lived their own lives in their own terms. And there wasn't a lot you could do to stop them from doing what they were going to do. Well, and, then, and then the other part <coughs> is like... And they were also both too smart for their own good. Yeah. And the other part was like... Well, I guess... I think the only thing that 
I think creatively, I love all of them. And I think I would consider myself a peer of theirs creatively. Um, we all had our own strengths. But I guess in terms of other traits that I have, I guess it's survival. I mean, I know how to like play with creative fire enough that it doesn't burn me out. So I have a better defense mechanism. Because don't get me wrong, man. There were times in my life when I was like a young theater actor when I became infatuated with stand-up and was doing open mic seven days a week for years, as I, I got to a certain point where I was like, oh, I've seen this path before. I've seen other my peers in comedy, my peers in theater burn out and take on bad habits, lose their lives. So I was like, this is a point to where I say, ease up. Ease up, fire. And, uh, you know, make sure you survive. But at the same time, does that create a limit? Does that create a ceiling for my art? I think you can do great art without it being too destructive, but I think a lot of great art is destructive. How so? I mean, look at wrestling. That is literally destructive, destroying your body for your art. Yeah, and you look at those guys, most of them are dead at a young age. Man, the internet was rough on wrestling fans when those lists of, like, dead wrestlers for you that just gets you're like no way no one survives that I've had people ask me like how can I be a fan of this and I'm like I those people die doing what they love and they did it for what they love I mean like you, you even Roddy Piper in like his last days he even said in an interview like one of his last interviews was for HBO he ended up getting fired from WWE for it because he was like we are all dying I'm gonna be dead by the time I'm 60 he called it and Vince McMahon fired him for that because he's like, I can't, like, but, but, like, these guys knew and they still did what they loved. And I think there's something to that. Because, like, what else were they going to do? And you can't abandon those because sometimes your art saves your life, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, where would they be without, without it's it? It's like, I mean, for your art, I mean, podcasting. The art of... I think there's an art to the fandom and the work you put in. People think... You know, I've seen fans, like, the way, like, you are with wrestling, the way Sean is with comedy. That There's a... You know, there's something beyond. You know, that that there's something to that level of... It's like next level. Yeah. Of, it, it, it's art in some way. I don't know what to call it, but it's something. It's being a... Well, without the fans, there is, like, you know, there's a, there, that's part of it. There's a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. It's like, it's like part fan, part patron, part muse. You know what I mean? In a lot of ways. And so, I don't know. I think you, you have to. I mean, where were you when, since you started podcasting, what was the longest gap you went podcasting? Uh, probably this last gap I had was like a year. And you probably made sacrifices. In the 2000s, I had, in the aughts, I had like gaps of like six, seven months. But this was substantial. Yeah. And where did it take you? I almost died. Yeah. And almost, you know, the, the past, not the past couple times, but, you know, when I've gone, when my depression has been... Enough to where me, I get back into seeing a therapist. Usually it's because I've hit like a plateau creatively where it's like, yeah, 
and then I get re-energized. So it's good. It's good to have that. And it's good to, you know, surround yourselves with people whose energy ignites you. It just sucks when their fire goes out. One of my greatest memories of Mark was at his at his service. I I I like to tell my comedy friends the first time I bombed and ran the light was at Mark Riggs' funeral. <laughs> I got up there and well, you describe what I did up there. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I was a mess. I was a wreck. Started talking about how like and he left me in my house one time a pair of underwear and I'm wearing those underwear right now and. And I was a me- I, I swear someone gave me like the wrap it up signal and back, and I did. Um, it was rough. Um, but then shortly after I went up there, this guy whose college degree he put to work, Youth and Family Ministries, you got up there and you had like a. I gave you like, like a, a sermon. You had like a, but it was like a 90 second. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you recall from your words? I just said, I just said how even as an older kid, we looked up to Mark and. It meant a lot to us. And I think I it was in your words where you made the point of like, you know, for some people, you know, you you hang out with Mark and you, you get these you know little slices of them, and for you getting that piece, you like you remember that for the rest of your life. And like Mark was like the whole fucking pie. You know what I mean? It was beautiful, but anyway, I thought we should finish the Mark segment by giving you a shout-out for those good final words. Thank you. Shannon was there. She'll know. Maybe she'll remember what you said. I do remember that night because we went home and, um, and Shannon and... Her boyfriend went with us, and your friend, another one of your friends, we went to Not Scary Farm. Went to Not Scary Farm, and like uh, the next day, or yeah, night? it was like the next night. Yeah, it was that same weekend because you were in town, staying at my place. That was a lot of fun because, like, I was like, "Oh shit, they serve booze here!" <laughs> yeah, and we're not with the youth group. And and I remember you, in a tribute to Mark, took your pants off in one of the mazes. I had I had not just boxer shorts but gym shorts on, but I just the monsters. I just remember seeing all the monsters freak out because I because I, <laughs> I I didn't like I didn't take my pants off and run. I I dropped my pants to my ankles and slowly strutted like the final stretch of the haunted maze. And there was nobody in the maze, by the way. Yeah. So I was just strutting around my pants down, um, because it felt good. And it and then was harmless. You, and then you stole the prize from one of the prize things. I did. Because that's another Mark move. It's a little uh, mischievous larceny. He wasn't like that, but I don't know. He was more like, Let, let's jump off this pier. I remember when he jumped off the pier. That was crazy. Yeah. They filmed that on video. They did. Oh, I love you, Mark. But anyway... It's been a long day. Let's do a real fast what you're watching. Did we really watch anything this week? I feel like all I've been doing is moving and working on shit. Yeah, it's been busy. Um, we watched a Great British... I think we watched a Great British Bake Off a bunch just because it's nice and soothing. All-time background. It's good. We're getting up to the finals. Well, it's crazy. Like, I remember they had dessert week in like 100 degree heat. And they're, 
ice cream cakes are melting. That's stressful. And um, that's very stressful. Lottie, who I she was my favorite, got eliminated. Oh, which one was she? I probably fell asleep. She was like the rebel, the pretty one. Yeah, mm. she kind of looked like Emma Stone. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what are we gonna watch this week then? We're gonna watch The Mandalorian. I already saw it. That's not fair. Oh, boohoo! Maybe you shouldn't have gone to sleep. I don't even know when you would have done that. Friday. At like one in the morning. I'm not up at one in the morning these days. Well, you're not a true fan then. Um, what else is... I don't know. We gotta get the TV up and working. We don't have a TV right now. That makes it hard to watch things. But we still have books. Yeah. I'm not reading anything right now. Are you reading anything right now? No, I'm not reading anything right now. We've been moving. You're right. Bad Dad, Rad Dad? Um, I would like to compliment you on your fashion choices for Lil. I think she's a very fashionable kid. Well, I mean, her mom is like 60%. You do a bit. I mean, I'm just like, you like dinosaurs? Let's get you something with dinosaurs on it. Oh, it glows in the dark? Great. She has cool clothes. I mean, I don't know. They make cool clothes for kids these days. And they're comfy, too. I just remember wearing a lot of Oshkosh Bagosh as a kid. Her mom has her a whole bunch. Lillian looks great in Oshkosh. I prefer her with the Oshkosh, like the baby Oshkosh. No undershirt. It's really cute. Can't be that comfortable, though, for the baby. Uh, What makes me a bad dad? Hmm... Mm, well, we don't have an oven, so <laughs> Lil's diet is, she kind of is like foraging, like when we get, like Burgerville, she gets the, the nibbles of burgers, uh, we, we she has pouches, she has, she gets something, but she's eating like a trucker this week. Yeah. I've been eating like we're on the road. I know. But we'll, we won't starve. What should we do next week? I think we need to lighten it up. What, you think talking about dead people two weeks in a row? No, I refuse. Next week, more death. You mean talking about Judd? We already did. We already told Judd. What more death? What Who else? You're the one with all the dead friends. Yeah, but you didn't know him. Introduce him to me. Hmm. We'll bring dead friends to the table that you don't think I've ever met, and I'll bring one to you. Because there's more. We'll have a little seance. How about it? Or we'll do something fun. We'll figure it out. We always do. So tune in again next week for another exciting episode of Radio Brendo Man, my brother and me. I'm the me. He's the radio. Love you, bro. Love you, bro. Shmushroom bro. Love you, bro. Rubber bro. Love you, bro. Love you, bro. Nailed it. <laughs>